you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And I'll begin reading in verse 11. I want to share a story with you, though, that maybe I should not share. It might freak some of you out, but it's just such a great God story that I have to share. Um, I was, it, Leslie and I were in Illinois doing a conference this weekend, and I don't often drive my car to events. I usually take my husband's because my car has 170,000 miles on it, and I can't really trust it to go anywhere. And uh, but I was, was feeling a little rebellious. I like my Jeep, and so I, I wanted to take it. And so I took the Jeep uh, against Dave's better judgment and mine. And um, and but I just thought, Lord, you'll handle it. And um, we drove to Illinois, and I preached Friday night. And the Lord woke me up early, early uh, Saturday morning. Uh, it was about 4.15, and Leslie was sleeping in the room, and so I quickly uh, quietly got out of the room and grabbed my car keys and my Bible. And, and, and there, it was a large conference center that we were at, and it was dark. Where we were parked, it was really, really dark, and there was a big golf course behind it, and there were no lights at the golf course. And I was a little taken back. It was, you know, it was 4.15 in the morning. And, and, and so I quickly ran like crazy to my Jeep, and I got in and locked the doors, and I started the car, and, and I pulled away, and I thought, I need, Lord, if I'm going to get up at this hour, I've got to have some Starbucks. And I knew that there was a Starbucks down the road. So I, I went to drive down the road to go to Starbucks, and all of a sudden, this warning light came on in my dashboard, and I was like, oh, Lord, it's 4.15. And I quickly dug for the manual, and I couldn't find the manual anywhere, and so I Googled, what does this light on the Liberty, Jeep Liberty 2003 mean? And, and I found out that my alternator was going. What's an alternator? <laughs> Well, the alternator runs the car. For those of you that don't know what it is, if you don't have an alternator, you don't have a car that's working. And so I kind of panicked a little bit at that point. And my headlights are on, and I have my electric seat on, and I have my cell phone plugged in, and I'm probably draining every ounce of battery that I have. And I call my husband. It's 4.15, and I'm like, Davey, I'm sorry to wake you up, buddy, but I have this light on the dashboard. He said, Rhea, it's the alternator. Get back to wherever you're at. Shut the car off. We're going to have to have it towed. I'll come down and pick you up. And I'm like, you can't come and pick me up. You're going to work tonight. I, I, I. I'll take care. The Lord will take care of this. And he's like, Rhea, it's your alternator. The car is not going to work. And, and I'm like, I need a Starbucks. It's 4.15. He said, Rhea, don't you dare go for a Starbucks. I said, Dave, I need a Starbucks. And I said, get back to sleep. I'll call you later. And He's sitting back there. He will tell you that every ounce of this story is true. And so I went to Starbucks. And well, little do I know that Starbucks is not open at 4.15 in the morning. And so I'm like, oh, yikes. <laughs> and then, I, you know, my headlights are still on and, and everything's still, you know, my seat, my phone, everything. And I'm thinking, Lord, just let me get back to the conference center. And so I drive like a wild woman to get back to the conference center. I pull in and I figure, well, if it's going to die anyway, I might as well just sit in my car, study so I don't wake Leslie up. And so I have the overhead light on now and my phone plugged in, my electric seat on. My headlights are still on. I did not realize that, but my headlights were still on. I sat there for about 45 minutes and studied the word. And in it, I read this story. It's just where I was normally reading. I read this story that 
Jesus cursed the fig tree. The fig tree dies at the root. The disciples said, how did you do that? And Jesus said to them, if you believe, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it'll have to go. Well, that's all you needed to tell me, Lord. And I'm like, Lord, I believe. And I believe an alternator is nothing for you. And so I'm just thanking you, Lord, that, that, that you can fix my alternator. And I'm saying to this mountain, be ye removed. And I believe that it can be removed. And so I'm going back to Starbucks, Lord. <laughs> and so I pull out to go to Starbucks, and my alternator light goes off. No, I'm sorry. Not at that point it didn't. And I go get my Starbucks, and Panera's right there. And I'm thinking, oh, I kind of like a bagel. So I pull into Panera, and I say to the Lord, thank you, Lord, that this mountain's going to be removed, that you're going to send an angel mechanic to fix my car while I'm at Panera. And I just thank you that it's done, Lord. Turn my car off, which Dave said, don't turn your car off until you get back to the conference center. You'll not get it started. I'm like, thank you, Lord, that it's fixed. Jump out of my car, go into to Panera. I study for about an hour, hour and a half. Completely forgot about the prayer I had prayed. Uh, went to leave after about an hour, an hour and a half. And as I'm going out the door, there's this gentleman sitting right by the door on a stool, not a chair, not in a booth, on a stool, separate from everybody else, not having coffee, not eating, nothing, just sitting there. And he's kind of a sharp-looking man, a very, you know, serious-looking man. And when, when I walked by, he looked at me, and he got me square in the eyes and looked at me, and he just nodded. And I gave him this nervous, almost, he kind of was a little creepy. That was creepy to me. And I was like, you know, and I went out to get in my car. And as I was going out to get in my car, I heard in my spirit, that's your angel mechanic. And I started laughing, and I was like, Lord, thank you that you fixed my alternator. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. I get in my Jeep, start the car, and the alternator light is off. And I'm like, praise the Lord. He loves me. I drive over. I get less. We go preach. We go to, it's lunchtime. Les said, do you want to go to lunch? Should we, cha should we chance the car? And I'm like, sure, let's go to lunch. So we drive to Chili's for lunch. We're sitting at lunch. Dave calls, and he's like, Rhea Michelle, don't even tell me that you have gone out for lunch. <laughs> I said, yes, and the alternator lights off, and the Lord took care of it. He's like, Rhea, now don't be messing with this. Get back there and let the car part. I'm like, all right, you know, we'll be fine. Don't worry about us. <laughs> he said, do you have your AAA card? I said, I do. Don't worry. We're fine. So I go back. We preach. We spend the day there. It's time to go home. We get in the car. I'm just thanking the Lord because he fixed my alternator. And I said, Lord, I don't care if it stops the second I pull in my driveway. Just get me home. I believe that you can do that. And everything I read about an alternator, I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about, but you do not have a car if you don't have an alternator. It's what runs the car. And, and so I decided we're going to drive home. And I, Dave said, you know, just call AAA if you need it. And so we are pulling out, and as we pull out, the light comes on. And I'm like, oh, 
Lord, that light can stay on all day long if it wants to stay on all day long because I'm believing you're going to get us home. Did I not say this out loud in the car? I said, I believe you're getting us home. I'm not even worrying about that light. I'm not giving it a second thought. We've got a long drive home, but I'm just thanking you, Lord, that you're going to get that car home. I don't care if it stops the minute I get home, but I just thank you that you're going to get us home. And by the way, Satan, for the record... If I have to call AAA, I just want you to know that I'm not unaware of your schemes, and I suggest you not be unaware of my schemes, because if I have to call AAA, I'm telling you right here and now, that tow truck driver is going to hear about Jesus from two wild women the entire way to Milwaukee. So I suggest you get your hands off my car. (laughs) Did I not, Leslie? Can I just tell you, we got home. When we got home, Dave said, back the car into the garage because I'm pretty sure we're going to have to tow it out. So we, I backed the car in. The next day, David calls me, and he said, I just got your alternator replaced, and it was indeed the alternator. And he said, they said there was absolutely not one ounce of charge on the alternator. They don't know how you got home. And, Rhea, here's the most amazing thing. Your battery is completely unaffected. It wasn't drained one ounce. That if you got home, it should have been because it drew from the battery, which would have eventually died anyway, except your battery had a full charge. Can I just tell you? My Jesus. And here's what's even better. My sweet husband put the alternator in all by himself. We didn't even have to pay labor. Do you just love my Jesus? I just love it. Y'all are not nearly as impressed with him as I was. If you were driving back from Illinois with the warning light on, you might be a little more impressed. We were sassy impressed, were we not? John chapter 18. I'm going to get you out of here in time. Don't worry about it. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup which my father has given me? Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink from this cup that the father has given me? Would you just pray with me? Father God, you know know that I'm tired. And you know that this message is a new message, and I'm not as familiar with it as I should be. And, Lord, I just thank you that your word is alive. 
And Lord, I believe that you have a word for every person sitting in this room tonight, that you're not a respecter of persons, that you want to speak directly to their need in their place where they're at right now, and you want to make yourself known to them. And so, Lord, I ask that you just be Lord over everything that is said and done in this place, that you would give clarity to this message, that you would help me to preach effectively and without hindrance. Father, that your words would be on my lips, that I would speak nothing of my own, Lord God, that I would speak only what the Father tells me to speak. And, Lord, that you would be greatly glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really impressed with this story. In fact, I've been teaching. I hope Beverly taught last week on an Easter message, and we'll have another Easter message next week about the the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, But I want to continue this this Easter series. And as I have been studying the Easter messages, I am in terribly impressed with the way Jesus conducted himself. That faced with betrayal, faced with crucifixion, faced with more heartache and pain than you and I could ever imagine, Jesus always conducted himself with love, with grace, with mercy, with complete forgiveness. You never see him having a pity party. You never see any victimization. You never see any, woe is me, I can't believe I'm stuck doing this. I have to save the entire world on this all on my shoulders. You never see any of that in Jesus. I'm struck in this story in particular that although he is the one that's about to be crucified, that he is the one that is horribly betrayed, I want you to understand that this is a man, Judas, who brings this detachment of soldiers to him to crucify him. Judas is one of his buds. It's somebody who he trusted. It's somebody who he confided in. It's somebody who was his uh, one of his right-hand men, and this is the man that's betraying him, we forget how painful that must have been to Jesus. That Jesus, in the middle of being treated unfairly, unjustly, even though all of that has taken place here, what do you see in this picture? Do you not see a Jesus who is fully in control? He is clearly in control of everything that's happening, so much so that the very men, now you have to know that a cohort of soldiers was anywhere between 600 and 1,000 men. Can you imagine to take one little Jesus, one little tender, loving, gentle Jesus, they bring 600 to 1,000 men. Now what does that tell you? And I love that Jesus, in the midst of it, speaks a word, and they all just fall backwards. Do you just love that? Who's in charge in this story? You see it throughout the whole crucifixion story that nobody is taking Jesus against his will. He is giving himself up. He is not the victim here. He is surrendering himself to this. He's not going unwillingly. He is going willingly. But the Bible says that he goes like a sheep being led being led to the slaughter. He goes quietly without a word. But make, make yourself, make it clear right now that in this story, nothing is happening that's out of Jesus' control. He is not taken back by anything. He's not surprised by anything. He is not powerless here. He is powerful, and mostly because of the choices that he's making. He is in full control. His power and his authority is all over this story. Nobody's taking his life. 
He is laying it down. And that's why he is in a position to say to you and I that, that we don't, we, those who, who want to, 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 to lose their life, <laughs> try to save it. But those who want to save their life need to lose it. It's the principle that when we lay down our life and we trust the Father, victory will always follow. But you see, where we get ourselves in so much trouble is we try to save our life. We try to fight our own battles. We try to be in charge and in control all the time. Instead of resting in the sovereign will of God, instead of resting in His power, and instead of resting in His protection, we try to fight our own battles. Oh, Jesus was not going to fight this battle. He knew that he was smack dab in the center of the will of God, and he was going to submit to that because he knew that when he submitted to the will of God, victory would come. And let me just tell you, church, that when we submit to the will of God, instead of doing things our own way, victory will always come. You will never win by getting outside the will of God. And Jesus knew that. He knew that. You say, well, Rhea, don't don't we read where Jesus asked God to take this cup from him? Absolutely. We see in Gethsemane where Jesus went with his disciples, and he takes them in, and he says, will you pray here with me? Sit here and pray with me. It's one of the, it it just, it rips at my gut when I read this story because he's taken not not just the 12, he takes some of his inner, inner circle a little bit further, and he says to those couple that he's confiding in, can you just stay here? and pray with me. Pray that we do not enter into temptation. And then he goes a little bit further and he begins to pray and intercede and talk to the Father with such intensity that the Bible says that he was sweating drops of blood. Have you ever prayed with that kind of intensity? Have you ever been in that much pain in your life that that you are pouring your heart out to the Father, uh, feeling that much pain? That's where Jesus was at that point, saying to the Father, if there's any other way, I will do what you tell me to do, but if there is any other way, God, could you just take this cup from me? Nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was praying it through. I was raised in a little country church in Pennsylvania, and and I'm so grateful for that upbringing. And one of the things that the elders in that church would tell us, they would say, you need to pray that through. Have you ever heard that? It means you get on your knees and you stay on your knees until you feel the release. You pray it through. You see, we don't know about praying it through anymore. We know about talking it through. Les, can I just tell you what I've been through? Karen, can I just go over this with you one more time? How about you, Deb? Can I call you and tell you about everything I'm going through? We know how to talk it through, but we don't know how to pray it through. And it's praying it through where the battle is won. You see, the battle for Jesus that day was won on his knees. It was won. in in quiet with the Father. He knew how to pray it through, and that's what he did in the garden. He prayed it through. Are you praying it through, or are you talking it through? Are you praying it through, or are you battling it through with your mouth? It's a choice. The Bible says, cast your cares on me, for I care for you. We need to cast. That word cast means to literally throw it on him. I can't deal with this anymore, Lord. It's yours. You take this from me. It's praying it through. And I always say, I'm telling you, the elders of my church would say, you get on your knees and you stay there until you feel the release. 
I'm not getting up, Lord, till I feel you lift this off of me. I'm not going to carry this burden anymore. I'm not going to carry this unforgiveness anymore. I'm not going to carry this offense anymore. I'm not going to carry this pain anymore. I'm not going to carry this depression anymore. I am going to stay here by my bed on my knees until I feel the release. Are we doing that, church? Is it no wonder we're not walking in victory? Jesus said to his disciples, can you just stay right here and pray with me? Pray that you do not enter into temptation. What did they do? Does anybody know what they did? They fell asleep. He goes back to them three times, and he'll say, could you not tarry one hour? Can't you even stay asleep with me? Think how much that hurt him. I will tell you that if I said to Dave, Dave, I need you to pray with me, and, and I said, now you stay here and pray, and I'll come, I, I'm just going to go here, and I came back, and he was sound asleep, that would break my heart. Would that not break your heart? Do you not love me enough that you can't even stay awake and pray for me? Do, do you, I get mad if Leslie's praying with me, and her cell phone goes off, and she answers it. I mean, come on. Can you imagine what he was feeling? Then he goes back three times. Can you not even stay awake? I think after the first time, I'd be like, get awake. I got to walk or do something because he's not going to catch me sleeping again. Three times they catch him. He catches them sleeping. And what he says to them is, pray that you do not enter into temptation. You see what Jesus was doing. He knew they needed to pray it through too. He knew that a temptation was coming that was going to make them stumble. And, and they needed to win it on their knees. He could not win it for them. Can I tell you, I love you, but I cannot win your battles for you. I will pray with you. I will, I will, I will anoint you. I'll pray with you. I, I will get the team to come along and pray with you. But I got to tell you this, I can't, I can't win your battles for you. You have got to choose to pray it through yourself. You've got to choose to win it on your knees because the temptation that's going to come upon you, you have got to be prepared for. And that's what he was saying to the disciples. I'm telling you there's a temptation coming the enemy's going to come and he's going to tempt you and you need to win this battle now before you face him win it on your knees now but you see they didn't take him seriously they went to sleep and church I'm going to tell you we're asleep we are asleep and the enemy is coming at us and he's bringing all kinds of stuff and we are falling for it hook line and sinker because we are not tarrying on our knees in prayer Jesus, on the other hand, he won it on his knees. And so he could go out and he could face that, that enemy head on. Look at the wording. Look at the verbiage that's used there. They come with this cohort of soldiers. I would have been running. And the word says that Jesus went forward and said, so who are you looking for? Can you just imagine? Go ahead and take me. Here I am. I'm not running from you. They brought, they brought weapons. They brought lanterns. Passover, at Passover, it would have been full moon. There would have been a moonlight that would have been able, they would have been able to see where they were going. They didn't need lanterns. But you see, they thought that Jesus was going to take off running and they were going to have to find him hidden, in the, hidden among the trees. That's why they brought the lanterns. Isn't it funny that they bring lanterns to look for the light of the world? <laughs> they bring weapons to look for the Prince of Peace. <laughs> That just doesn't even make any sense to me. But, but you see, that they, they came prepared. They thought this was going to be a fight to get Jesus. And he just surrendered himself right to them. Because the word says that he knew everything that was going to happen to him. He knew whose hand he was in. He knew where he had come from and where he was going. 
Do you, do you understand that? That if we really know where we've come from and where we're going, if we really know whose we are, it doesn't matter what comes at us. It doesn't matter what comes at us. We can rest knowing he fights our battles for us. We can rest knowing that it is already won. Victory is ours. Our decision has to be to stay smack dab in the center of his will. And we don't stay smack dab in the center of his will if we start to fight that battle with our mouth. And we see that in this picture. All of these troops come to Jesus, and here's all, I just love it. Who are you looking for? Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. Not Jesus the Messiah, not Jesus the anointed one, not a term of honor. What do they say about Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. We're looking for that no good Jesus. We're looking for that common man Jesus. We're looking for just that run-of-the-mill guy Jesus. Oh, you are, huh? I am. Bam, they fall over. Can you just, would you not have paid money to be there? I just would have loved it, that the power of his word was so strong and full of such authority and power that his response knocked them off their, off their feet. You see, Jesus could have called a legion of angels and knocked them over. He could have said, okay, guys, get your swords, and they could have, the 12 of them could have defeated the 1,000 of them just because that's the kind of power that Jesus has. Do you know that? Do you understand that Jesus could have wiped them out like that? They could have all had heart attacks. I mean, he could have done that. He has that kind of power. And so I love that he's just saying, just in case you've forgotten who you're messing with, I am. I am. Bam. And, and he could have taken off running. Do you understand? They're all flat down on the ground. And the word says, as if dead. They're all flat. They have their lanterns, their swords. <laughs> Can you imagine watching that all fall over? The lanterns, you know, the torches on the ground. and think, Picture it. Would have loved it. Would have loved to have been there. A thousand of them covered on the ground. I mean, I bet the disciples' mouths were hanging open. And here's what my buddy John adds. He says, and Judas the betrayer stood with them. In other words, Judas the betrayer was one of them that was now flat on his back on the ground. Do you just love that? Nana, nana, boo, boo, Judas. Here's what I don't understand. I'm learning this. It's taken me a long time. Don't wait till you're my age to get this. Why do we fight our own battles? Why do we fight with our mouth? Why do we use the sword? Uh, anytime you see the, the Bible talks, a couple weeks ago, the Lord gave me this scripture about the double-edged sword. Did I tell you this? I think I told you this. I'm going to tell you again. Hey, I, I was so tempted. I was going to teach on the, the, the armor of God. And Do you know that the only offensive or defensive weapon in the armor is the sword? The sword of the Spirit, which is the... Word of God. Okay, so so I'm studying all this because I was gonna I was gonna teach it and and I was studying the the sword of the spirit and I happened to get cross referenced over to Revelation where the Bible says that when Jesus comes back he's going to have a sword in his mouth and I'm like you are, and it's going to be a double edged sword a, a double edged sword is going to be in his mouth so I started to read and study about the double edged sword do you know that the word double edged means double mouthed. This is good. Pay attention. Don't fall asleep on me here because you want this one. This is a good one. It's double-mouthed sword. And I'm like, what does that mean, Lord, double-mouthed sword? And it's going to be in your mouth. And, and the sword of the Spirit is a double-edged sword. The, the, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, double-mouthed sword. Are you following me? Are you with me? 
And so I'm like, Lord, show me what that means. I want to understand it. Who knows? When you don't understand his word, you ask him, he'll give you revelation. He will. He wants you to get it. And so I began to study this. Do you know that, that, that when we, when the word of God is, is the word, spoken word of God. He spoke it. And he gave inspiration through his Holy Spirit, and the, and the people wrote it. Are you following me? But it was spoken by God to them. One mouth spoke it. Got it? But now when we take it up, when we take that sword of the Spirit, when we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we begin to speak it over our circumstances, that's one more mouth. Yeah, that makes me want to clap too. It's a two-edged sword. It's a two-mouth sword spoken once by him. But, baby, when we speak his word again, it becomes a two-edged sword. And let me just tell you, you look at any Roman soldier, you Google any Roman soldier, and you find out about a double-edged sword. It's a deadly weapon. It can do all kinds of destruction. And it's a picture. The word of God is, is drawing a picture for us. And he's saying, when you take the one-mouth sword, the word of God, and you begin to speak it, it becomes becomes a two-mouth sword, and it becomes a deadly weapon in your hand. Oh, that's just good stuff. That is just good, good stuff. Now, does anybody remember where I was before I got on that one? Why do we fight our own battles? Because the Word of God is powerful. Do you understand that? He spoke, and those little tough guys fell flat on their back. I'm going to speak his word because I got me a mouth. I got me a sword. Ask my husband. And I can use it to cut off some ears. Do you see what happens when we use our sword the wrong way? We cut off ears and people can't hear us. I used to have a note in my journal that said, you're screaming so loud I can't hear you. That people just begin to tune you out that they don't take you seriously. He's just off on a rampage again. We, we use our sword like Peter to chop off somebody's ear so that they can't hear. When if we used his sword and just went peacefully and laid down our life, oh, what God can do. You see, the Bible says that Jesus could go peacefully because it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. You know what? This stinks. It's going to be painful. I'm going to lay it down because I understand that there is resurrection coming. And watch out when resurrection comes. You see, that, that, let me just bring this down practically for you. How many of you have a betrayer in your life? How many of you have somebody who's hurt you deeply in your life? How many of you have somebody who's, who's rejected you, who's abandoned you, who's said nasty things about you? How many of you have people in your life who you want to slap silly? If I was Jesus, I would have wanted to slap them silly. Do you know who you're messing with? And, and so I want you to just get this. Are you with me? If you have those kind of people, a Judas, if you have a, tr a cohort of soldiers that are coming at you, if you have an enemy who's coming at you all the time, all the time, all the time, and the only way you're battling them is with your mouth, you are going to lose. It's the principle he's drawing, the picture he's drawing here. You see, if we begin to fight that battle 
with the word of God. If we submit to it, you know what? I want to strike back, Lord, but because you say so, because you say I need to forgive because I've been forgiven, because you tell me I need to be merciful because you've been merciful to me, because you tell me I need to be compassionate and loving, I need to love my enemies, and I need to pray for those who persecute me, because you say it, Lord, I will do what your word says. I will exercise and speak your word instead of what I want to do. And when I do that, when I lay my life down instead of pick it up, oh baby, can I just promise you, I am seeing this work in my life. I am telling you, when you choose his way and not your way, resurrection will come. He will fight your battle for you every stinking time. I promise you he will. I promise you he will. The battle is not yours. If God before you, who in this world can be against you? You see, you got to get that down in your spirit. Why would you want to fight back? Peter fought back and look what happened. It made it worse. We will always make things worse. Oh, Peter, because notice what Jesus said. When they finally get up off the ground, (laughs) I love it. Can you imagine just waiting there? Waiting for them to get their composure, (laughs) fix their swords. Get their lanterns lit again. Jesus is just waiting. Now, who is it that you said you want? Can you imagine? Oh, no, here we go again. Brace yourself. I mean, can you imagine? This is just, there's just the word of God. is just good. It's just good. I love it. So anyway, he says, tell me again who you want. I'm like, why would you ask him the second time, Lord? I want to know why you ask him the second time. But here's what he adds the second time. If it's me you want, then let them go. Let my disciples go. I just want to make sure this is clear. You're after me. They have no part in this. Do you see what he's doing? He didn't defend himself, but who is he defending? His disciples. I love that. That's loyalty. That's love. I'm not even going to go to my own defense, but I'm going to defend them. I'm going to put myself between them and death. I'm going to take the hit for them. You just let them go. Do you understand that that's what he did on the cross? He didn't just do that for the 12 disciples. He did that for every disciple in this room. He put himself between us and death. He said, you know what? I'll take the hit for them. Just let them go. Oh, Somebody needs to say amen. That is just a good word. You see, your enemy didn't come with a weapon. Your enemy didn't come with a lantern. Your enemy came with guilt and condemnation and shame. And God said, I'm going to stand between. I'm going to stand between Brian and his sin. I'm going to take his beating. I'm going to take his death on the cross. He deserved it, but I'm going to take it. And I'm standing between him and his sin. And I'm going to take the beating for him. You let him go. Oh, that's just a good word. That is just a good word. That's my precious Jesus. Do you understand? That is Easter. That's the Easter message. He stood between us and death. He took the blow for us. Oh, who in this room doesn't deserve the blow? I deserve it right across the face. And he stood between me and the death blow. He said, you know what? What you have is with me. I'm going to take, take what they deserve. Just let them go. Let them go. Let them go. And so his disciples, you know, you want to see them flee at that point and get out of there. But Peter decides to take it in his own hands. And he takes the sword and he whacks off Malchus's ear. And I, I really don't believe it was because he was a fisherman and not a swordsman. I, I, don't, I think he was aiming for his head. I really believe he wanted to do it. And Malchus probably ducked. 
But, but I want you to see that Malchus was the, was the servant of the high priest. He wasn't a servant of the high priest. He was the servant of the high priest. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me just teach this. The servant. That was the, the high priest's right-hand man. He, he would have had the high priest, would have had his ear. <laughs> he would have said, you go out and you check and, and tell me what's going on. You come back here and report to me. Do you see? And Peter gets his ear. I love it. I love it. And, and, and here's what I love best is that Jesus quickly reaches down and he grabs the ear and he puts it back on Malchus and he heals it. Now, don't lose this picture. Today, I, I, I was working and, and I was still meditating on the scripture as I'm at work. And I called Dave because it just put me in tears. And I said, Davey, I want you to think about this. Jesus healed that ear, and I believe when he healed it, there was no stitches, there wasn't any scar. I believe it was just like my ear is right now. But there still would have been blood drops on this man's tunic. Can you imagine going back to the high priest who was going to crucify Jesus? I, I just have to tell you what he did to me. Look at my ear. And, 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 and Malchus would have stood at the cross and had to see the blood on his tunic and know that the man that he was crucified had the power to heal his ear. I just want you to think about that. This made me cry today because I said to Dave, we don't see any history. There is no history, no Josephus, no history, no, no nothing written in biblical history that says Malchus ever came to Christ. That grieves my soul. It grieves my soul because, number one, this is the last miracle we see Jesus do. It's the last bodily miracle that we see Jesus do. He's sending a statement. Don't be chopping off ears. Put your sword back in your sheath, Peter. We're not chopping off ears here. We're not fighting back here. We're healing. I am going to heal the one that came to crucify me. I'm going to heal the one that came to hurt me. And church, you've got to hear me here. We have got to start healing the ones who come to hurt us instead of crucifying them. We have got to start reaching out and helping them and not hurting back. We are never going to win when we start to hurt back. Some of you want that person to pay. Some of you want them to pay dearly. You're going for the head. You got your sword drawn and you want to take them off at the head and you think they deserve it. Who knows? Malchus deserved it. Peter was justified. He was defending Jesus. He was protecting Jesus. But Jesus said, Peter, put your sword back in your sheath. Get it back in there. And that word, swords, put your sword in your sheath, the wording there in the original language, it means to bury it away. Oh, somebody. Somebody's got to be with me here. That, that, that you want to draw your sword and you want to get revenge and you want to fight back and you want to chop them off at the head. And Jesus is saying, bury it away. Bury it away. Let me fight the battle for you. Put the sword back in your sheath. You see, if we really got this, oh, I want to preach on forgiveness. I want to go there tonight. I just want to tell you that, that, uh, that, that uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says, you can be sure that offenses will come. I preached this to you a couple weeks ago. I told you that that word offense is the part of the trap where the bait is kept, where, where the cheese is kept. And what Jesus was saying, he was drawing a picture, and he was saying to us, if you take offense, if, you, if it was somebody comes to hurt you, and you can be sure they will, if you take offense to it, you will be caught 
in the trap. You will have taken the bait that the enemy set up for you. And I'm going to tell you, I can search this room tonight, and I can go and say, you took the bait. I see it on your face. You took the bait. I see it in your actions. You took the bait. I can hear it in your voice when you talk about the situation. You took the bait, and you're in a trap, and you tried to chop an ear off. Sword. Put your sheaf, your sword in the sheaf. Put it in the sheaf and trust Jesus for resurrection. You will never get to resurrection if you're fighting back. You will never see the resurrection power. Kelly, you've been through a lot. You've endured a lot. I've been with Kelly. How many years have I known you? At least 10. And when I met Kelly, she was a shell. She was a shell of pain and heartache. She had been abused and hurt and rejected and abandoned. And I'm going to tell you, I said some hard things to you, didn't I, Kelly? I said hard things to her. But I'm going to tell you, she put the sword back in the sheaf. And I'm just spitting. (laughs) She put the sword back in the sheaf. She drove from Green Bay tonight to be here. I'm telling you, she's leading a church plant right now. God is working in her life like you can't even imagine. And it's because she chose to put the sword back in the sheaf and say, Lord, I'll do it your way. I'll forgive. They don't deserve it. Can I tell you, the people who hurt her, I know the stories. They don't deserve it. They deserve to have their head chopped off. But see, Kelly would have missed the resurrection power if she was still fighting back. Some of you are still fighting back. Make the decision before you leave here tonight. To put the sword in the sheaf. Get to Gethsemane tonight and pray it through. Get to your knees and pray it through so that you have the courage to put it back. To put it back in the sheaf. To bury it away. To bury it away. Because I promise you, I'm not minimizing what's been done to you. Trust me, I've had it done. I'm just telling you what the principle of, of the word of God is. You will never experience resurrection power. Never. Until you say, Lord, I'll do it your way. You say, forgive, because I've been forgiven. I'll do it your way. If you can take the cup from me, I like that, Lord. But, but, but this is one I guess I have to do your way. I'll forgive. I'll be merciful. I'll be compassionate. I'll love that nasty, stinking thing. Because you say it. And I'll choose Choose. It's a choice. I've said before you, life and death, choose to put the sword back in the sheaf. And I'll trust you, Lord, when I bury it, that resurrection. You know that resurrection always follows death. You bury something, expect it to come back to life. Expect it. That's when his power works the best. I know it's late. I just want to tell you one last thing. This week, I got up early, and I was down with the Lord, and um, I had been studying, and I went up, uh, Dave was in the shower, and I went up to tell him something I had found, and he said, Rhea, your face is glowing. And I'm like, because this is just good, you got to hear this. And I was so excited about this scripture. I I read it, and it says, um, it's in verse 62 of Mark chapter 14. Jesus is talking to the high priest, and they're going to crucify him. And, and he says, basically, he says, you're going to see me again. Just make sure you know that. And the high priest said, oh, yeah. And he says, yeah. He said, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power 
and coming in the clouds of heaven. I said, David, did you ever see that Jesus called it the power? You're going to see me again, Mr. High Priest. You might crucify me, but I, I just want to warn you right now, I'm coming back. And I'm going to be at the right hand of the power in the clouds when you see me. Do, do you understand? The right hand of the power. <laughs> the power, that's God. When we obey God, we got the power on our side. The, the power that made a thousand troops fall backwards. I think we've forgotten how powerful our God is and how nothing the troop of the enemy is. We are at the right hand of the power. The power. The power. That's who we serve, the power. When we obey him, we're at the right hand of the power. And the Bible says that, that, it, that he will make our enemy our footstool. Now, let me draw a picture. Kendall has some guinea pigs. <laughs> She's got some guinea pigs. And we have them in her brother's bedroom because her brother's away. And, and we have them on his high boy. And it's up in a big cage. And Kendall is little. She can't reach her guineas. And so she has a footstool that she steps on to get up higher where she can reach her guineas and get to the fun stuff, okay? Bible says that God is going to make your enemies your footstool, the thing that you use to get up higher. I don't know about you, but I want to get up higher. Every time I see that little thing step on that footstool, I think about that scripture. Because if you're fighting your own battles and you're taking your sword out of your sheath and fighting back, you'll never get to the footstool. They'll never become your footstool. They'll become a sliced-off head, an ear that doesn't hear, but they'll never be your footstool. But if you do it his way, he will make your enemy the thing that takes you up higher, that puts things in your reach that you never thought could be in your reach. I want those things. Do you not want those things? Put your sword back in your sheath. Get on your knees. Pray it through. I'm not getting up, Lord, till I feel this bitterness go. I'm not getting up, Lord, till I feel this unforgiveness go. I'm not getting up, Lord, till I feel this self-pity, victimization go. I'm not getting up, Lord, until I, till I let this desire for revenge go. I'm not getting up, Lord, till I let every lie they spoke over me that's embedded in me go. I'm not getting up, Lord, until I pray this one through. It's going to be my Gethsemane, and if I have to sweat drops of blood, I'm getting victory on this one because I believe in your resurrection power. Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? He'll do that for you. I promise you he will. And he will make your enemies your footstool. Jesus said to Peter, do you not understand that I need to drink this cup that the Father has given me? Some of you say, well, Rhea, you're playing down the stuff that's in my life. Really? That word cup that Jesus used, it refers to sorrow, to, to pain, to heartache. I have to drink from this cup of heartache. I have to drink from this cup of pain. I have to drink from this cup of sorrow because when I do, it's what the Father gave me to drink from. It's the, it's the circumstance he allowed in my life. But if I drink from it and I stay in his will and I don't fight back and I, sword my she and I sheath my sword, resurrection's coming. It's for the joy that's set before him that Christ endured the cross. He endured it. 
But the victory was won on his knees in Gethsemane. I believe it with every ounce of my being. Father, I just pray for these people. I thank you for every one of them, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that they would have the courage tonight to, to, to just get before you and once and for all, Lord God, win this victory on their knees with you. That they would cast their burdens, that they would cast their unforgiveness, they'd cast their disappointments, they'd cast their broken dreams, they'd cast their, the, the, the way they thought it should be, Lord, on you. And Lord, in return, that you would show them your resurrection power. Lord, I pray that this Easter season would not just be another passing Sunday. Lord, I pray that they would have a revelation of your resurrection power like they've never had it before. Lord, that they would not just know you as Jesus the Messiah, that they would know you as the great I am, the, 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 the resurrection and the life. And Lord, that you would breathe your resurrection power into their circumstances. And Lord, demonstrate your power demonstrate it, Lord, before their eyes and let them know that you fight their battles for you and that you, the power, are at, are at their right hand, the side of victory in their life. And so, Father, bless them this week. Lord, I pray that you'd bring them back, looking forward to hearing from you, Lord, with a greater anticipation, a greater appreciation of your word. Lord, draw us all closer to you, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.